Well, today we're going to continue our study, and I am so excited about this because it's a series that can really help your life. It's a series that takes a little bit of courage to embrace because some people, especially in church, have a hard time with the word wealth. And our study today is about building courageous wealth. Building courageous wealth is about something that all of us need. Now, all of us have bills. All of us have responsibilities. But when I talk about wealth, I'm not just talking about money. I'm talking about a sense of well-being. I'm talking about being in a place where your life feels good. It's about being happy. It's about being well. That's what the root word means, well. And so I want you to think about that for a minute, and I want you to join me, if you would please, in a prayer. And let's believe that this message will help you, so let's pray together. Father, I pray today that what we talk about will be life-changing. I pray that everybody who's watching in the service today, everybody's watching online, everybody's watching on demand, everybody's watching and listening, will be touched in a way that speaks to their life. And I declare in Jesus' name that this is going to be the beginning of a courageous conversation about building wealth. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, what I said to you last week was I said, if you're going to change your life, you have to have courageous conversations. Once you have courageous conversations, You've got to come up with some courageous changes you want to make. Once you decide what those changes are, then you have to come up with a courageous plan. Once you develop the plan, this is very important, if you don't have the resources to implement the plan, it's only an idea. It's when you can say, I'm clear. I know exactly what I want to do. I have a plan for it, and I have the people, the money, the time, the ability, and sometimes it's a physical ability, the physical strength. You want to travel, you want to go all over the seas, there's a certain amount of stamina you have to have. You've got to lift suitcases. You've got to be able to fly on long distances on planes. You can't be afraid of heights if you're going to reach out there. You're going to have to find a way, plan a way to get to that place. You've got to get up in the air if you're going to Europe. You can't get there on boat by boat. You can, but it's a long ride. I think it's important to understand that you decide whether you want to invite that into your life. When you have the sense of well-being and wholeness, you're able to do amazing new things in your life. But if you're not healthy, you can't. And so in our study today, I want to focus on wealth, but I want to ask you a question about that wealth. Last time I talked to you, I said, I used Matthew 25 as our beginning text, and we talked about uh, three men, three men who were all given talents. A talent is a measurement of money. And in the story, the master gives each guy a measurement of talent. One guy gets one guy gets one talent, another guy gets two, another guy gets five. And each guy is given the talent or the measurement of money based on his ability. So the guy with one talent, the master looks at him and says, you are a one talent guy. You can, ma- you can manage this amount of money. And he sees the next guy and says, hey, you can manage this amount of money. And then the next guy says, okay, you can manage this much. So everybody gets a certain measurement of money based on his ability to manage. Now, I want you to notice how honest he is. Everybody can't manage everything. And I don't think you need to feel bad if you can't. You'll see in our next sermon that it's really not about feeling bad about what other people have. It's about you learning to enjoy what you have, being able to embrace the strength you have and learn from the people around you. But in today's study, I want you to answer another question for me. Last week, it was about using what you have. Today, I want to talk about investing what you have. If you're going to build wealth in your life, if you're going to get to a place of well-being, peace in your life, happiness in your life, you're going to have to use what you have, not what someone else has. 
If you have one talent, you use that. If you have two, you use that. Whatever you have, you have. And then I want you to think about this. If you have it, you must learn how to invest that. And that brings me to the next part of this. You have to today think about, am I a good investor with the talents that I have? The talents that God gave me, have I been good at using those talents? Or have I been wasting them? It's so easy to waste what you have. It's so easy to be the kind of person who starts out going in the right direction, but then turns around and ends up going in the wrong direction. All because you decided, like this guy with the one talent did in our study we talked about yesterday, decided to not use his talent. So he took his talent and buried it in the ground. Two guys decided to use their talent. We'll see that in our study today. They decided to trade what they had, and it grew, doubled in size. One guy did nothing, two guys did something. Where are you in that spectrum? Are you the person who's using what you have to the best of your ability, or are you the person who's saying, I'm not going to use it? The person who's decided, oh, I'm just going to kind of coast and kind of live. What's amazing is you get older, <laughs> you become the coaster. I left you with a couple of statements that I thought were important statements last time, and this time I put them in writing for you so you can read them if you'd like in the notes. And listen to what I wrote for you last week. I love this. Our knowledge, our knowledge, passion, focus, discipline, and wealth will determine what we can do. One more time. Our knowledge, passion, focus, discipline, and wealth will determine what we can do. If we don't build our knowledge, passion, focus, and wealth in a healthy way, we've reached our peak. So if we don't make this healthy, if we don't focus on building our knowledge, building our passion, and going after things with strength and power, we will have reached our peak. Have you peaked out? Are you at the end of your journey? Is there like no more room for you to grow? If that's true, then, my friend, that's a tragedy. Then I went on to ask you this question. I said, what will we do if we get more wealth? That's the question. Am I going to buy more cars? Am I going to buy more? What's this whole wealth topic about? It's really not about just um, getting stuff for stuff reasons, for just stuff's sake, put it that way. I want you to grow in wealth. I want you to grow in your life. I want you to become more happier, a lot more happier, a lot uh, more at peace, so that you can make a difference not only in your life, in your personal life, but in the lives of others. You see, if I'm at peace, it's easier for me to help other people. If I'm okay. If I'm not okay, I tend to not care about other people. And I love the fact that the Bible doesn't encourage you to only care about people. The Bible encourages you to care about yourself. I love, love, love Nehemiah's story. Because this is what Nehemiah does. Nehemiah goes to the king, and he wants to go back and build the walls of Jerusalem because the walls have been all torn down. And Nehemiah is all upset about it. He's, 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 he's praying. He's concerned. And, he, and the king sees his face in, in Nehemiah, and the king says to him, he says, hey, listen, uh, Nehemiah, what is it that, that's a problem? And so Nehemiah, who was a cupbearer, just a working guy who had a passion for his people, he says to the king, I'd like to go back and rebuild the walls around Jerusalem because they're all torn down. And, and so he says to him, I love this, he says, what do you need to do it? I love this. He asks him a question. Well, he, you know, he, he, did, he, he already knew. He, he, he had already prayed. He said, you know, I need resources. I need something to build the walls with. I need soldiers to protect me. I need, I need letters of authority to go through these different places. And then, I love this, but I not only need something for 
for for the walls, but I need something for me. I need enough wood to build me a home. He understood that I need personal wealth. I don't need to just go build a wall and have no place for my family to stay. There's something about that. I see preachers do it all the time. They're so busy building the church. They're so busy running around preaching and touching people's lives and making a difference in the lives of people, but their homes are wrecked. They're physically a wreck. I mean, they're physically out of, out of control. Everything is out of control. And I'm thinking, well, okay, so you help somebody else, but you're not healthy. That is, to me, a dangerous thing. So what will we do with the wealth? The wealth is for you to, first of all, improve your personal life, and then to improve, 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 I can say it, the world around you. That's what I want you to see. That's a priority. Now, what's the best kind of wealth and, and why? I ask you that question, too. Now, this point is so important because for a lot of people, they think the best kind of wealth is individual wealth, and that is not true. Corporate wealth is the best wealth. It's when we do it together. It's when everybody chips in. Everything works better when we work together. When I am, am an individualist, and I am into individualism, all about me, the individual. It's not about you or anybody, anybody else. It's just Ricky. This is just overcoming by faith. We don't care about anybody in the city or anybody else in town. It's just us. We don't care about anybody. If that's how we think, we're in a bad place. So the question is, do you understand the power of corporate wealth? But here's a problem with that. Corporate wealth doesn't work if there's not unity in the family. You see, a family that's divided cannot really develop corporate wealth because corporate wealth only works when we all chip in. We're all committed to going to school. We're all committed to having money. We're all committed to building a business. We're all committed. It's when a church is, is all in. Everybody's committed. That changes everything. Whenever I hear of a church is not growing, I can tell you one of the key reasons is the people aren't committed as a group. They may be nice people. They may be godly people. They may care about Jesus, but they don't care about working together. And because they're not committed to any corporate goals, they don't succeed. Husband and wives, your money, my money, your children, my children, houses all divided. The Bible says, and Matthew, we studied this the other day, I think it's 1225, cannot stand. A house, cannot, a house divided cannot and will not ever stand. It's going to, in the end, fall apart. Amos 3 and 3 says it even another way. It says, can two walk together except they be agreed? Unless there's agreement, and that doesn't mean that we all see everything exactly alike. What it means is that we are all committed, totally committed, to going in the same direction. My marriage is not perfect. My life is not perfect. My kids are not perfect. But there's one thing that I think is absolutely true. We have been going in the same direction. We've disagreed here and there, but we are going in the same direction. And that's what God wants. That's corporate unity, corporate faith, corporate wealth. That's really one of the richest things I got going for me. Unity in my house. A commitment to the same direction. A wife who loves me and a wife that I love and kids who seem to respect me and I respect them. There's something about that corporate commitment. Now, I want to leave you one final thought before I get to the text in Matthew 25. I want to show you, I want to show you this incredible um, principle that Jesus, that God put in place for the church so that the church would have the ability to do corporate things together. It's called tithes and offerings. The funding of ministry basically has always been in the Bible through free will gifts and offerings. The business model uh, that is fine, I mean, if you can start a business in your church and you can touch people that way, that's great. 
but the biblical model is for people to give. He calls us to corporate giving. Well, we all give together. And he makes some tremendous promises. He said, if you do this, I'll open the windows of heaven, pour you out blessings, you will not have enough room to receive. And so Malachi chapter 3, verse 10 through verse 12 says this. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse. I want you, I want you to be a tithing people, he said. When you, which means if you make a dollar, you give God a dime. If you make $100, you give God 10 There's something about you bringing, bringing to God your resources and saying, I want to thank you for what you've given to me. So you bring all the tithes into the storehouse. And I put this in both prints because I want you to think about it, that there may be meat in my house. The goal is so there's resources to do corporate good, to do fall festival, to do things for young people, to sponsor schools, to, to feed the hungry, to do things that you can't do if you don't have corporate wealth and corporate resources. Now, here's the problem now. Here's the problem. Ready? I want you to watch this. We're not talking about corporate um, dependence. Where some people view the church as a place where you come, this is, you know, like, you know, kind of the um, corporate dependent place. You just come here if you need something. And that's when you call, that's when you ask for help, and the church is responsible for helping everybody who struggles. I want to say something for a minute, and I want you to hear this in the right spirit. I don't mean any harm when I say it. It's true. I've been pastoring for 37 years. I have noticed something. The neediest people are the people who give the least. I'm not saying you have to give a lot, but it's amazing that the people that I've noted who need the most are the people who give the least. Because the principle is clear. You know, he says, if you, if you honor me, this is what God said, if you honor me, I will help you. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to create a, a sense of well-being for you. I'll open the windows of heaven for you. I'll pour out blessings that they will not have enough room to receive. So here's the deal. God is really big on reaping and sowing. And so I understand that when I don't give my time to something, and you'll see this in our next series next month when I talk about this whole idea of priorities, if you don't have a clear sense of, I need to be a part of this, you know, I, I cannot expect to be, get a, be a part of the corporate blessing when I'm an individualist. So if God, whatever amount of money God has ever given you, you've always kept it for yourself. Forget, forget giving to the church. You don't really give to anybody at all. You don't, it's not just tithing to God. You know, God's forgotten about it. It's not just that. It's to anybody. The sense, the sense that there's no responsibility for you to invest. And that's what this is about. And I'm going to show you in, in Malachi, Matthew chapter 25, the, the, the two guys in the story who are highlighted as examples of investors. So if you remember the story, it was one guy there are three guys, and these three guys are approached by their master. And the master gives each of the guys a talent, a measurement of money. And this measurement of money is used, uh, given to them, rather, for them to invest. One guy takes it, and he buries it in the ground and says, I'm not going to do anything with it. Two guys take their talents, and they use them. And they double them in size. And the master comes back. And I want you to notice his response to the two guys. Last week, we talked about the one guy who didn't use what he had. This week, I want to talk about the two guys who used and invested what they had. Matthew 25, verse 14. For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. To one he gave five talents, and to another two, and to another one, to each according 
to his own ability. So it's tied to ability. And immediately he went on a journey. So I want you to watch this now. He gives it to them and he leaves. Now there are four observations in this story that I want to make. Four simple things that I want you to notice. The first one is this. Wise investors, that's what these two guys are, wise investors. And then you see the master who's also a wise investor. What the master does because he's a wise investor is he empowers people with ability to build wealth for him. Let me one more time. The master looks at the three guys and he saw something in them and says, I'm going to empower them. I'm going to give them something and trust them to build wealth for me and for them. But I want them, I want them to be totally and completely responsible. He leaves. He checks out of the building. He's no longer present. Now, that's important because I want you to see that's how it works. God gave you a body. God gave you health. God gave you a mind. God gave you what you have and says, now you manage this life. You manage it, and it will either grow or die, but I will not manage it for you. I want you to watch that. This story in Matthew 25, 14, the parable of talents, it's about you being told I'm not doing it for you. You will have no more than you're willing to build. You will be no healthier than you want to be. You will have no more discipline or knowledge than you want to build and, and develop. If you choose to let yourself go, then you'll just be gone. He will not change. Listen to me carefully. He will not change anything in your life. You can pray. You can ask God. You can say, my body hurts. It's going to keep hurting, and it's going to hurt more. If you choose to never do anything with what you've been given, so please note in the story how wise he believes it is to empower people who have ability. I love this. He only empowers people with ability. All three guys have the ability. Do you invite people in your life? Do you invite people in your life <laughs> that can help you? Um, some people try to build wealth on their own, and that's just not the way. I love the way this guy does it. He says, no. I'm going to get three guys, and I'm going to give all of them um, uh, three guys with ability and give them all some money, and each guy is responsible uh, to manage the money and to help it grow on their own. I trust them. That's how it works. That's how the kingdom works. He's not going to come down and make your life better without you being involved in the process. You are totally responsible. Second thing I want you to notice is not only are wise investors people who empower people with ability to help, but I want you to see, secondly, wise investors can be trusted to faithfully invest without supervision. Notice with me, verse 16 said, Then he who had received five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. And likewise, he who had received two gained two more also. Notice that these two guys took their resources without anybody managing them every day. They got up. And they took what they had and they used it on their own. The master's gone. He left them. It's their job now to manage it. He's gone. I, I, just, I just love this idea when I think about it. I love the idea that God has said to Ricky Temple, it's up to you. I am not doing it for you. It's totally up to you. 
you, if you want to build wealth in your life, if you want to have a, a good sense of well-being, you want to get up in the morning and love life, and you want to get up and be able to fight your dragons and slay the things that come against you, if you want to be able to have the resources to do that, then that's totally up to you. Two guys took those resources and they went after it on their own with nobody telling them. And you know, sometimes Christians just kind of bother me with this. Lord, everything I do, should I pray for your will? What do you want me to do? Go to school. What do you want me to do? Look for a job. Here's how you know you need to look for a job. You have none, and you're broke. That's a good way to know it's time to look for a job. How do you know you need to go back to school? Because to get promoted in the field you're in, you need some more schooling. It's called certification. They won't promote you. You won't get ahead. So you don't have to pray about going to school. You can pray as you go to school. You can pray on the way to school. God, God does not, uh, how do you know you need marriage counseling? Because your marriage is a mess. How do you know? How do you know you need to get in shape? Well, you know, figure it out. No, you can't move. This hurts, that hurts. Look in the mirror. It's, it tells you. That, that's how I know. I look at my own life right now, and I understand something. Ricky Temple has to make new investments. I'm, I'm on this I'm campaign. I have to make new investments in my own life. I open my closets and say, clean out your closets. Why are you so busy running around? I need you to clean up your garage. I need you to make sure your life is better. Your, your life has to be changed. If you don't get this, you will miss the boat. He left them. Jesus left, the master left them. This is your responsibility. This is your life. This is not somebody else's responsibility. There is no angel coming to do it for you. There's no Holy Spirit coming to do it for you. It's you deciding, I don't want this anymore. These guys were given this opportunity, and listen, they ran with it. Oh, man, I, I, you know, my life has a lot going on, right? I, I mean, it does. A lot of miles, a lot, a lot of preaching, a lot of work. But, but that's okay. God left me with this responsibility, and he's, he's, not gonna, he's not going to make me do anything if I choose not to. Well, I'm waiting to be led of the Lord, you know. Thus saith the Lord. What's, Lord, what, sh what should I do? What should I do, Jesus? What should I do? You're waiting for some voice, and you can just, you, you know yourself. He gave you a brain. He wants you to think. He wants you to try. These two guys knew they had two talents, five talents, and it's not going to grow all by itself. So they came up with ways to trade. It doesn't even describe what they traded or how they invested. It just shows you that they, on their own, without supervision, got up and did something. Because they knew they had the ability. That's why they were trusted. It was really important is all three guys had the ability. One guy chose to do nothing, two guys chose to do something. Where do you stand? Third thing about these guys is, and the third observation about wise investors is, wise investors take power from those who stagnate their wealth. This is painful. Buckle up the seatbelt. Wise investors, wise investors take power from those who stagnate their wealth. Verse 18. He who had received one went and dug in the ground. And hid his Lord's money. And after a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. 
Now, let me jump ahead a little bit and what we call inverted order here for a little bit and just skip down to verse 24. And so from verse 8, 19 down to verse 24, then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you've not sown, gathering where you've not, you've not scattered seed. So I was afraid. So I went and hid your talent in the ground. Lord, there you have what is yours. I, I know, Lord, that you, you gave it to me to invest. I know you trusted me. I know you said I have the ability, but I chose to do nothing. That's what he said. Because I don't think you're fair. You expect me to work and you get all the reward, you know. So I went, and This is amazing. This is amazing. This is a guy who doesn't get it. This is the guy that doesn't get it. This is the guy who doesn't see. I, sometimes when I hear people complaining about working hard or, or you know, I want to go, you know, well, go home. I mean, this, this, I mean, if you, you, you want to quit, quit. But, but, but please, please don't be like this guy. This guy is blaming somebody else for why he didn't do well. Why, why, he, somehow it's the Lord's fault now. I, I just don't believe we should live our lives in this state of complaining and blaming. Okay, so your daddy wasn't good. Okay, but how old are you? Okay, your mama wasn't there, but how old are you now? I'm sorry. I'm not saying it didn't damage you or have some impact. I understand that. But I'm saying at some point, you become the investor. Take charge of your life. You have the ability to do something. These two guys did something. This one guy says he's not going to do anything. So watch what happens. This is important because this is the third observation. Wise investors take power from those who stagnate. When the guy came back to investigate what the three guys did, he noticed that the two guys had taken and doubled what they had. And then he noticed this one guy had not done anything. So what he does is, his Lord answered in verse 26 of Matthew 25, you're wicked and lazy, strong words. It says it all by itself. You're wicked and lazy. There's a big word, lazy, right? Hard to admit that, but I've been lazy. Maybe you can't see it in your own life, but I can see it in mine. I have been lazy. There are classes I didn't do well in only because I didn't want to read the book. I didn't want, I didn't want to get up early. That's why I was late. Because I didn't lay my clothes out the night before because I just didn't plan the route. Because I didn't take the time to look and see how far the route was. And I just assumed I'd be okay. Lazy. Saved, sanctified, and lazy. Praying for God to do something. And God says, I'm not going to fix your home. I'm not going to fix your marriage. I'm not going to do anything. Because you're burying your talent. You're not going to even try. You want to you use me as a cop out. And you want to pray and ask me to fix your life when you do absolutely nothing to fix it. Somehow it's my responsibility. No, I gave you this life. I gave you this life to participate with me. Look, I know it's hard. I know it's not easy. But I want you in this fight. In this fight. You have no plan. You have no, nothing written anywhere. How are you going to fix your money? You're praying for me to fix your money. There's no plan. There's nothing written. You've buried your talent. And then you want to blame God and pray some prayer. Lord, I don't know what it is. I prayed for you. I trusted you. I'm believing for you. See, it's all about you, God, not me. I have nothing to do with this. Fix my home. Fix my marriage. Well, stop cussing out your man. That might help. Stop yelling at your children and, and being rude. Maybe that'll change. Maybe if you go to work and smile, they might promote you. How is it always, how is it always, always somebody else's fault? This guy is amazing. So here's what his Lord does. He takes from him.
Verse 28, so take from him and give it to him who has ten talents. Now this gets to be tough. Because you don't want to believe God to do that. But this is from the mouth of Jesus. He told this parable because he wanted people to get it. The kingdom of heaven operates this way. You want to know how the kingdom works? This is how it works right now. This is it. If you stagnate the work of God, he said, if you stagnate this move, I'm taking from you. Look at the third thing I told you. Wise investors take from those who stagnate their wealth. I have had people, and you thought maybe you've not you've ever been an employer, but there are people that can't help you go forward. They love you, they may care, but they can't have, help you go forward. Some of you who have staff, you, you're, you're unable to release people. You're unable to change staff. You're unable to help people. Some people just can't grow. I mean, and I face that in my personal life. I'm 60 years old, been pastoring for 37 years old, 37 years, been preaching for over 45 years. How is easy, if I'm not careful, it's easy for me, after preaching for 45 years or so, it's easy for me to become irrelevant. If I don't read and if I don't apply myself, I can become irrelevant. I can look dated and sound irrelevant. I can be impressed with myself, but be completely out of touch. Is that you? Are you stagnating the job you're in now? Are you, are you a hindrance to the company advancing because of your attitude? I've been here for so many years and I deserve what? What do you deserve? What is it that you deserve? How in the world can you possibly assume that it's okay to stagnate everything around you? I don't want to stagnate, Diane. I don't, want to get, I don't want my kids to feel they can't talk to me because I'm so far behind, I'm, I'm out of time. I don't, I don't want that. I, I don't want that in my life. The wise investor can pull a plug. Because <laughs> it brings me to the last thing. You see, it's all about return on investment. It's return on investments. I'm reading for you again. Number one, wise investors can empower people with the ability to build wealth. Wise investors can be trusted to faithfully invest without supervision. Thirdly, wise investors take power from those who stagnate their wealth. And then lastly, wise investors believe in return on investments. ROI, they call it in business. You know, return on investment. Wise investors understand that if I don't get a return on this investment, it's wasteful. Jesus died on the cross. He invested for us so that we might live. The question is, what have you done? Verse 20. So he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents beside them. The Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You're faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Verse 22, he also had received two talents, came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. And look, I have gained two more talents beside them. His Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. That's how you become ruler. That's how you enter into what he called the joy of the Lord, that place of wealth, that place of peace, that place of happiness. It, 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 it's a, a sense of well-being. 
but there's something that stops that from happening. There are four things, I believe, that take power and wealth from Christians, and I specifically said that on purpose. The first thing that stops Christians from being wealthy is their theology. They believe that 1 Timothy 6 and 10, which they think out of context, says, the love of money is, is the root of all evil. But it basically says the root of love of money is a root. It, it can be the cause of evil, but money in and of itself and wealth in and of itself is not evil. But, Chris, but a lot of people philosophically believe it's wrong theologically. They, they work against you having any conversations about it, and so their theology is a hindrance. And I'll come back to that another time. Number two, their philosophies. They philosophically, by their actions, it's important, they philosophically, by their actions, say that amassing great wealth is wrong. Churches, churches are taught, and this is what I was taught, you don't want to have more than six months reserved ever in your church life. Most churches are building rich and cash poor. Because the concept is that, first of all, you keep the leader poor, right? <laughs> you keep the staff, if you have one, poor. Most of them don't have a staff. If they do, they don't want to pay them fairly. So you can't get the best people because they can't afford to work for you. They can volunteer a minute here or a minute there, but you don't have any full-time help. So you never get to really organize your effort to reach people, and it's just kind of a helter-skelter run around, bake chicken and hope we make it, and beg when we need money in the crisis. That is just horrible, but that's the way we're trained. And somehow that's supported by theology and philosophy. It's a way of thought and a way of life. So that hinders churches from building wealth, Christians in particular. Thirdly, their peers. They're around people who struggle, and, and when you talk about wealth, they have a problem. They struggle with wealth and talking about it. There, there are very few people sometimes in a Christian environment that you can talk about wealth. Let's sit down and talk about how I want to invest and improve my life. Let me talk about how I can build a business. Somehow they want to talk about prayer and reading the Bible. I'm not against that. I'm big on that. I put my prayer life against yours any day. I'm a prayer. I'm a prayer. I'm a prayer. But after I pray to do something, if I can't afford to do it, all I did was pray. If I pray and, I, and, I, and nobody around me gets along with me, what good is my prayer life? There's no sense of well-being. A church, they have great services. They all fall out and scream and yell, but then they don't get along. The deacons hate the ushers and the ushers hate the deacons and the choir can't stand anybody. It's a mess. What is that? So their theology their philosophies, their peers, their fears. Many people fear wealth. They're afraid of it. Somehow it's going to change you and make you bad. So we just admire other people that are wealthy and quote great verses like, the wealth of the wicked is laid up for the righteous, as if what God's doing is making those wicked people wealthy so he, they can give it to me. So you're always praying for a wealthy person to come join your church. But you never think about how you can become how you can become stronger, hurricane strong, able to survive during difficulties. And then lastly, their use of time. <laughs> they have no designated time to build wealth. Look at your calendar. How much wealth building time have you set aside? Oh, there's a reason why you're not there. And listen to me carefully. There's a reason why you'll never get there. It's the way you think, the way you feel about it. It just bothers you. And maybe this series bothers you. Every time I say wealth, you quiver. Huh. Something wrong with that. If it's all about money, yeah, I get that. 
excuse my yeah, but you get it. If it's all about dollars and cents, I get it, but I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about that being a part of the equation. I'm talking about a sense of well-being where we are okay and we're happy and we're going forward and we're investing our time and we're clear about our role in building our future. And finally, I, I want to say next time I want to talk to you about learning, <laughs> learning from what you have. You've got to use what you have. You have to invest what you have. And you have to learn from what you have. I've always been amazed that these two guys were such an inspiration and an example of great investing. Why didn't the one guy learn from those guys? Why didn't he go to them and say, hey, guys, how did you do that? Why did he bury his and not ask for help? Well, I'll pick up on that next week and show you how you can learn from what you already have and from what those around you have. But that's next week. Let's pray. Father, I thank you today in Jesus' name. I pray that what we've talked about has inspired and lifted the hearts and minds of those who are here. May this be the day that their lives change and evolve to a great place. You've given us this opportunity. And I pray in Jesus' name that your hand of grace will heal hearts and minds. Every head bowed and every eye closed. There's somebody here today who'd say, Pastor, I heard you today, and I'm real clear. I have not been using what I have, and I have not invested what I have. I have not opened my heart to Christ. I've not given Jesus a chance to touch my life. And so, Father, let this be the day that, I, that you do that. Let this be the day that you say, I need to give Jesus my life. And so right now, uh, someone important to me is going to come up and share with you how to do that. And they're going to pray a prayer for you. Give your life to Jesus today. That's the best investment you could make. Thank you for listening today. I pray your life was changed. Come on, my friend. Join me in this next prayer and change your life. Come on, everyone, stand to your feet. One of the best decisions you could possibly ever make in life, one of the best investments you could possibly ever make in life is by taking your life and releasing it to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. God created this plan where he created us, he designed us, so he knows what's best for us. So his plan was for you to just say, God, I, instead of controlling my life, I want you to rule me. I want you. You're the designer. You're the creator. So I need you. I want to follow your guidebook. I want to follow your way. And so the best investment ever is to say, my, I'm going to invest, release my life. The talent I have is my life, and I'm going to give it to you. I'd like everyone for a moment to bow your heads. If there's anyone in this house today who say, especially after hearing this word, I want to take the first step in the best investment ever in life, and that is to give my actual life to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This can be done easily by a simple prayer. You don't have to change anything, do anything. The word of God says all you have to do is confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. Believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead and thou shalt be saved. Simple prayer. That would be the start of the greatest investment ever. You don't have to come up front. We're not going to call you out. We're not going to do anything to you. We're just going to pray with you. So if you would like us to pray with you, all this, everyone in the room will be praying with you. If you want to make the best investment ever by giving your heart and life to Jesus, all you have to do is raise your hand and put it back down. All you have to do is raise your hand up and put it back down. Thank you. 
Anyone else? Just raise your hand up and put it back down. Awesome. Awesome. Now there may be some in the house who say, well, you know, I, I've decided to grab my life from God and run everything myself. I'm running on my own strength. I'm doing everything in my own power. But it's just not working for me. So, Lord, I want to pray a prayer of rededication so that you can guide and lead my steps. It's not working for me, but, God, I'm going to start over again. And it's so awesome that God is just waiting on you to say, okay, just turn your life back over to me. It would be my pleasure to drive. If there's anyone in the house you want to pray a prayer of rededication, just lift your hand up and put it back down. Anyone else, lift your hand up and put it back down. Everyone in the house, come on, say, Heavenly Father, I thank you for giving me this opportunity to invest my life. Your word says, if I confess with my mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in my heart that you raised Jesus from the dead, I will be saved. So on this day, I confess. On this day, I believe, and on this day, I receive. Forgive me of all my sins and come into my heart. You rule my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, give the Lord a hand of praise because there were a lot of people, a lot of people who prayed that prayer. Now, there's one more prayer I'd like to pray with you based upon this powerful word that we heard. It's obvious that God has given you some unique talents, but you have to make the decision, what are you going to do with the talents given? For some of you, God has given you the unbelievable talent of teaching. And you're accustomed to whatever the talent I have. I'm supposed to make some money from it. And that's and most of the time on the jobs where you're getting increased, you, you are being paid for that wonderful talent. If you're really good at something, somebody's going to pay you for it. But there are some increases that are not tied to money. The increase is actually a quality of your personal life. It's actually a quality of, of the life of someone else. So some of you have this wonderful gift of teaching where you have the ability to take some material, take some information and explain it to somebody so that they can capture it and they can see and be able to implement it themselves. For some of you, you have the wonderful talent of of encouraging. Someone feels discouraged and they're just sad and miserable and you can just say a word or two or say something and it will just boost their spirits and encourage them. Some of you actually have the gift of healing. And the gift of healing is not only the laying hands upon the sick and they will recover. Yes, many of you have that particular, we all have that ability to pray for people. But God has given you the gift of healing and that he has given you the ability to gain knowledge. So you are doctors and nurses and physician assistants. You have the ability to be a physical therapist. And because of the knowledge that God, the gift of knowledge that God has given you, you can tell a person exactly what exercise to do so that their shoulder will feel better. That's a gift. That's a talent of healing. And some of you may even have a simple gift of being able to provide a smile on the face of someone. 
someone who's looking sad and is like, I've got another day of misery. But you can say a word. You can look at a person and just smile and lift their spirits. We all have unique gifts and talents. But this word today challenges us to decide what are we going to do with that talent given to you by God? Are you going to take it like the servant and bury it? Exactly what you gave me is what I'm going to bury. And you don't spread it anywhere. Or are you going to take that talent given to you by God? And you're going to go out and do uh, an expansion where it only not only blesses your life, but it blesses everyone who comes in contact with you. So we're going to pray this simple prayer. So bow your heads one more time. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word as it came forth on today. Lord God, we thank you for every single talent that you blessed us with. And Lord God, we don't want to be like the servant who takes that special talent, that unique talent, and just bury it. But Lord God, give us opportunities, ways, whether it's volunteering in church or volunteering in our community or doing something on our job or even sometimes a simple talent of we have the ability to communicate to the masses online. So instead of just having chats and posting our cute little pictures online, we're going to actually share this word to others because we have the ability to communicate and send messages because we have the talent of just internet gifts. Whatever it is, Lord God, whatever that talent and gift, we're not not going to bury it. We're not going to be selfish with it. We're going to go out and use it for the expansion of your kingdom. And we thank you and praise you for this word in Jesus name. Amen. Come and give the Lord another hand. You may be seated.